1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: equity minds I will say this about investing everything you do learn what I learned at 20 equity equity
1: Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, if you're just joining us for the very first time, a big welcome. If you're just getting up to speed with the basics, head across to our Get Started Investing podcast. But otherwise, let's jump straight in. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you?
0: I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. We are talking ESG investing, but in particular, greenwashing. Now, uh, as consumers, I think we're all familiar with this idea of greenwashing, where a brand tries to put a bit of mayo on their sustainability credentials, Uh, but as investors, it's something that's become more and more, I guess, front of mind over the past 12, 18 months. That's right. And we've got one of Australia's foremost experts on greenwashing and not, not on doing greenwashing, but <laughs> yeah, on, but on spotting <laughs> and fighting greenwashing uh, to help us understand it better.
1: That's right. We are sit down with Head of Sustainable Investing from Fidelity Australia, Daniela Jaramillo. She takes us through the definition of greenwashing, but also green hushing, a yeah, term we yeah. hadn't heard before. Apparently,
0: the world has gone from green wishing to green washing to green hushing. <laughs>
1: yes. Green slushing is next.
0: Uh, you did in the interview. <laughs> tried. You tried to think of something. I kind of wish you hadn't suggested anything.
1: <laughs> then we have a chat about uh, some of the key resources we can use. She presents us with a website that you found well, ticked ticks a lot of boxes that um, I'd never we've heard been, of, sort of been looking for.
0: I'd never come across it before. Responsible Returns mm. is the website. We'll mm. include the link on the show notes. Uh, we'll let Daniela um, explain it in the interview. But it's great to see that there are some resources like this coming. To market.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we finish up by talking about some of the, the do's and don'ts and what to look out for when it comes to greenwashing and actually making investments in products.
0: Do sustainable things, don't greenwash. <laughs> I know, it's unbelievable.
1: <laughs> Just a reminder before we get going that we are licensed, but we're not aware of your personal circumstances. So any information on this show is for entertainment and education purposes. Any advice is general advice. And also, a massive thank you for, to Fidelity for sponsoring this episode. If you want to learn more about sustainable investing
0: and the work that Fidelity is doing in this space, head to their website, fidelity.com.au. Uh, one thing we particularly appreciate is that they publish some case studies of the engagement that they're actually doing with Australian companies uh, to drive more sustainable outcomes. So that, that's worth reading. And they also have a sustainability newsletter that you can sign up if you want to keep up to date with everything in the world of sustainable investing. So with that, Bryce, let's get into it.
1: Well, Danny, a big welcome to Mates. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So we're going to start uh, very general and uh, we'd love to get you to define what greenwashing is and then elaborate on why it's continuing to make headlines around the world.
2: Look, if you want to try to put it very simply, greenwashing is using claims for um, being environmentally friendly or socially or responsibly uh, friendly, depending on how you want to define it, but claims that are not necessarily true. And so if you put it like that, it's something that's uh, pretty basic and simple. The challenge is that there's not much definition around what is green, what is sustainable, and the definition of true, it's, it's a bit trickier to define as a black and white. So, so just to, to give you a sense, when we're talking about any product, so let's say I'm saying that a product is organic, I'm thinking most of the product uh, that makes, let's say, a baby formula is organic, most of the product will be organic. If I'm telling you this product is fully organic, that's what you expect. If I then look at the details and it turns out that only 5% of the ingredients were organic, it's not necessarily true. And so that's when there's like an immediate disconnect between what I've said to you and what I'm selling to you. Where it gets a bit trickier is when you're saying something is sustainable, because the definition around organic might be a bit more simple when you're talking about sustainable. It really is a little bit of what does sustainable mean to you? What does green mean to you? And does it align with what I mean? So I think I would just try to define and differentiate between, especially when we're talking about investment products, between misleading and deceptive conduct, where I'm telling you that um, this product is absolutely tobacco-free, and then you find um, I don't know Marlboro in the <laughs> um, in the in the portfolio. So that's completely misleading. And that could be for many reasons. It could be an omission. It could be an operational issue that they didn't realize it was in the portfolio and that they had offered that. Or it could be many reasons, or it could be malicious as well. But that's very clear black and white. Where it gets trickier is when you're using terms that are not necessarily absolute and where there's no clear definition. And that's when we get into a little bit of difference of opinion. What is sustainable for me might not be sustainable to you. And so it is a tricky time, both for consumers and for those of us that um, represent Fidelity that are creating products because it's it's we don't have a regulator coming up with a clear definition of what sustainability is, and the expectations from society vary depending on who you're asking. And therefore, for us as producers of products, of investment products, it's difficult for us to try to marry whatever you might be expecting from a product. So I guess it is important to make that differentiation. Back to your point of when are we seeing the headlines? So the headlines are mainly focused on that first definition that I gave you, where I'm saying that I'm doing something and I'm actually not doing it. So that's where you're seeing in Germany. There was a raiding, uh, police raids um, and, and CEOs departing large firms. We're seeing here uh, court cases by the regulator in Australia. We've seen some fines in the US. So that's the headlines that we're seeing. It's more of those very more egregious cases where I'm not doing what you're saying we're doing where there's that difference of opinion it's not necessarily in the headlines but it's in many people's minds and so when people look at products I don't necessarily know what they're thinking but if this idea of what the product is doesn't match their expectations that is when people might just become very skeptical about what they're buying or what they're investing in because it just didn't really match to um, expectations and that's where that skepticism is a reality and there's not a very clear way of solving it so we just need need to learn to navigate it
0: now when we were preparing for this interview i actually came across a term that i hadn't seen before i've heard of greenwashing, washing uh but i was introduced to the term green hushing so for our audience who haven't heard of it before can you introduce this term and, and what it means in an investing context
2: Sure. And I'll start with the beginning of it, which is green wishing. Have you heard that one? I I haven't actually, no. Okay. So for those of us that started in ESG, like before it was cool. <laughs> um, so like 10, 15 years ago. So when I had to explain to everyone what is ESG and they really put me in the tree hunger category, we're sitting at the back of conferences. So the idea of being now presenting to mainstream media, like in those days, it would have been completely unthinkable. So for those of us that we were there ages ago, we were in the category of the green wishers. So we wanted change. We wanted for mainstream finance to recognize all this risk and the challenges, but also the opportunities that can come with uh, investing in finance. So that's the green wish. Then all of a sudden, green or ESG becomes cool, becomes mainstream. And so everyone jumps on the green uh, at bandwagon and consumers are like, yeah, I definitely want this. I know I can make my uh, money work for the causes that I care about. And so all of a sudden people selling products are like, great, there's a new market. I just need to create the right product. And because we have this challenge that I've just explained before, one of it is a marketing issue, but everyone starts creating. So we see an influx of products and that's when the regulator gets concerned. And they say, wait a minute, I need to protect consumers. We can't just have people offering all these products. Who knows what's in there? Who knows if it's really meeting expectations? So therefore, we need to regulate this. And so we see regulators around the world paying attention to it and trying to figure out how they define sustainability or how they they protect consumers. And so once that happens, because initiatives that are green are very much focused on creating goodwill, uh, trust. Trust is one of the most important things First, that an asset manager wants, and second, if you're selling a sustainable product, trust is double more important, right? So the moment that you see that you're exposing yourself to greenwashing, not only even legal breaches or or legal cases, but just the potential implication of your name being associated to greenwashing, it ends up being like, I'm terrified of that. So therefore, I'd rather not say anything. And if I stay out of the discussion, even though I might be doing all these great things, I might be managing my portfolios, very aware of climate risk. I might not be investing in thermal coal or I might not be, uh, might be very leaning to investing in renewables because that's where I see the opportunities. I decide to not say anything because I want to protect myself. So I go into the growing hushing. Now we see a regulator in Australia now saying that greenwashing is a form of the green hushing, so not telling people what you're actually doing is also a form of greenwashing. So it's getting a bit complex. <laughs> you can't win. I mean, <laughs> we're on a stage and, and it's just a matter of maturity, right? So we're coming from a very niche thing to becoming mainstream. And and I just see all of these as really, as really growing pains of an industry that's trying to find what it really is, find its place, find its impact. Realize that it's not the overpromise that in many cases it's meant out to be, but there is a lot of really good things that can happen from it. So that's the from green wishing to greenwashing to green hushing.
1: There you go, learn something new. Green hushing, who would have thought? Where does it go to next? Green. I can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Danny, you no mentioned <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned regulators there and we've seen ESG regulations evolve at a pretty rapid pace over the last few years. So interested to understand a bit more about the direction of policy and regulation that is coming out from, you know, countries around the world. So are you able to help us understand a bit about that?
2: I I will. And look, I have a colleague of mine that um, actually, when he presents about this topic, he says that regulation can be fascinating and regulation regarding investment products can be really fascinating. (laughs) I always giggle a little bit when he says that because I personally don't find it fascinating. It's not the part that I enjoy the most of my job. So what I'm going to try to do is not bore your listeners too much with the detail of it and, and, and try to explain a bit more higher level how I see it. So as I've said, regulators around the world see this massive influx and in they're we need to protect consumers. And and but not everyone does it in the same way. So you can imagine for a global asset manager like Fidelity, it's a bit of a nightmare because we need to try to ensure that we're meeting regulations around the world but ensure consistency across our products. But anyway, that's a separate problem. Uh, regulation is really focused. Uh, so, so we've seen three kind of different types of regulation. One of them is really just focused on risks. So some regulators around the world are really focused on ensuring that asset managers are considering the risks that come from ESG or the risks that come from climate change, because it is basically something that's going to impact returns for um, investors in the long term. There's another group of um, uh, of, of regulators that are really focused on labels. Um, so if you think about, and they're trying to define, so it's a little bit more like a bit more like a nanny state type, uh, where you're actually trying to really draw clear lines around what's allowed and what's not allowed. And so it's very, it's a bit a bit more black and white, and you are actually trying to, um, they're actually trying to tell us, if you wanna call this something sustainable, you need to ensure that your product has so-and-so-and-so characteristics. Um, and we're seeing that a little bit more in Europe, so it's a bit more prescriptive. Uh, Uh, That would be my favorite if I would have to choose because it's a lot easier to know when you're on the right and when you're on the wrong, right? It's a lot easier to say, okay, if I follow these directions, it's gonna, uh, I don't have any uh, exposure uh, to greenwashing. And then the third case is a little bit where ASIC is going, which is like a full disclosure. So they're saying, I'm not gonna tell you what sustainable means. You define how you think, but ensure that your consumers really understand it. So it's very much, Full, very detailed disclosure. So it really puts the onus on the asset manager to disclose a lot, and then on the consumer to have to review and and look as, and and review and look under the hood of what actually uh, you, you're finding. So you, there's a lot of focus in that reading and disclosure, understanding what how each manager is defining it. So if I'm trying to find an analogy between like nutrition um, guidelines. Have you seen the, the health stars that we see in the supermarket? That's more the European way, so it's a lot easier, just like you just know the number of stars and you buy whatever you want. The way the regulator in Australia is, the direction it's going is much more focused and you will have very detailed complex nutrition labels that you'll actually have to review in detail, understand what they are and, and define how much protein do you want, how much sugar do you want? The exact same way. You, you can kind of, but you, it, it is the honors on the consumer to really understand how each manager is defining each thing. So
0: I guess, it's, I assume it's early days in Australia's journey and ASIC's journey regulating it, but how has it gone so far? What are we seeing in the Australian landscape? Are there any stories or anecdotes about, you know, what, what's happening in Australian finance at the moment?
2: Uh, look, I think um, ASIC has come out recently with a new report where it actually showed how much work they've done in the last nine months since they'd issued their initial guidance. So, sorry, and just to clarify, uh, ASIC is not, their focus, they, there's no new regulation around this. It's still focusing on that misleading and deceptive conduct. What they've issued, um, I think it was, it's probably a year now, um, they released the info sheet 271, which actually outlines how they, it's it's guidance on what they consider to be greenwashing and kind of what to do to avoid it. And since then, uh, ten months later, they released a report where they've said, since then, this is the action we've taken. And basically, they provided a set of examples without naming and shaming, except from what's already in the media. But saying, for example, we, a mining company that had said that they'd done scenario analysis and so and so, we've actually asked them for the, this level of detail. And so that's basically helping us uh, really understand what exactly is actually looking for. Um, when they're looking at, at, at products. So that's what we know so far. But as I said, it's very user-centric. Unlike in other markets, ASIC is really worried even about the marketing. So if there's a Facebook post on something or something in social media, ASIC will be regulating that type of content. So it's very user-centric. They're not expecting all the users to go and read all the PDSs. So they're focused on that, um, any marketing material. And then it's just that very evidence detailed disclosure so provide me an evidence or provide an example of how do you justify that
0: yeah okay from the interviews that we've done on this podcast and uh, I guess just the people we've spoken to from doing equity mates it seems to our mind like the big challenge comes in sustainability and uh, ESG can sort of mean different things to different people and I think the classic example we see is there are some fund managers who will take a divestment approach and then other fund managers will take a more of an engagement approach and make the argument that you need to invest in these unsustainable businesses to allow them to transition to more sustainable operations. I'd be interested to know how you think about it. But also, I'd be interested to know how the regulator is uh, in Australia thinking about I guess the different meanings of this one term.
2: From the regulator, again, they're not at this point defining anything. So whatever you're saying, if I think sustainability is something, like you need to think about who the main user is, and 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 and, but also disclose your definition of what you're saying it is. So that's so far what we've seen. Um, eventually, um, we know uh, the industry, and I'm. I'm Uh, And there's a group, uh, um, there's an initiative called um, ASFI, which is actually developing a taxonomy for the finance sector to define what's green and what's not green. So it's the Australian Sustainable Finance uh, Institute developing a taxonomy with multiple people from from the ecosystem. And the Treasury has endorsed this. And and so then that will give us a bit more guidance. uh, For example, uh, on defining, if I'm saying I'm investing in green things, And according to that taxonomy, so that categorization taxonomy sounds really boring, but it it is important because it will allow us to define, oh, this is green and this is not green, or this is sustainable, this is not sustainable. But we're still a while from from having that. So at this point, it is very much how everyone discloses their definitions of of, of such. The way I think about that, um, back to your question around how to think about exclusions, engagement, investment. To me, it's all about personal preference, but really understanding what is it that you're trying to achieve or what is your theory of change or what is your um, sustainable investment beliefs, however you want to call them, and then matching those, translating those to ESG speak. <laughs> so, for example, if you really hate Um, anything that has to do with tobacco and you're like I have a history and I have family history and I just don't like tobacco I want to ensure that none of my funds are invested in tobacco then you would go for a very good exclusionary approach and then what you really need to look at is that the threshold so Are you excluding every single company that makes any money from tobacco? That means that you might be uh, excluding, for example, supermarket chains that sell tobacco. And so you need to be ready and understand the implications of all that. So that's if you have that type of approach. If you think that the world that there is a misallocation to um, capital, to low-carbon opportunities, and you think that this is the right time to invest for better long-term returns uh, in businesses that are sustainable because in the long run, that's where the world is going, then what you might be looking for is for um, really strong ESG integration. So really looking for those managers that have a very systematic approach to ensuring that they're investing in those businesses that are um, really thinking uh, sustainability, in the long term, and that are aligning their business models to that. If you have a very strong belief that on specific topics, so for example, water or or critical minerals, and you're like, I really think this is an area that not many people have paid attention, there's a massive opportunity, then you're looking for those more thematic funds. But then if what you're looking for is to really be part of a systemic change, recognize that an exclusive approach to not investing in fossil fuels mean that those fossil fuels are not emitting carbon emissions in the real world. So if you fully understand that and what you want to be is part of that more systemic change, what you will be looking for is for investment managers, not necessarily the product. So I think if, if you think at that more systemic level um, and you're interested in that change, so you have that theory of change that we need those brown industries to turn green to achieve the change, then what you're looking for is for that very strong engagement strategy. And when you talk about engagement, I see it as less product-oriented and more firm-oriented. So you're looking for those asset managers that have been able to demonstrate that they're having those very robust conversations that have voted in alignment with what they say they're voting. Um, and how to look for that? It is uh, the, the way I think about it, many people might say you need to ensure that they have policies and, and all that I, Look, the policies are great, but most people have one. And and even for someone that has looked at the multiple of these, it's kind of difficult to tell a good one for a bad one. I mean, you might spend hours. To me, it's all about the the, the case studies. So if you see a case study about an engagement to so look for case studies of companies, so if they're saying they're investing in utilities that are going from brown to green, look for case studies. And, and, and it actually just needs to make sense, right? If you would be talking to the board of, a utility company in Australia from go- and you want them to phase out thermal coal to go and invest and have more renewables in their mix, you want to see that in that case study. And if you would be that person having the conversations at board level with a utilities company in Australia or an oil and gas company in Australia, does that case study reflect the conversations you would want to have? And I think that's where um, you can really evidence that engagement and really seeing that there's a clear theory of change and then escalation. So if that doesn't happen, has the manager had any evidence of we vote against if uh, things are not changing as fast as we want? Um, So I can see that there's potentially some questions on that. um,
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think, think, you know, hearing all that, it, it all makes sense, but I... Come back to the fact that I uh, have a tiny amount of money, and I'm time poor. And um, you know, you even mentioned there sometimes, unless you really dig into it, you sometimes find it difficult to find the good from the bad. So for someone like me that wants to do the right thing and wants to impact where I can, but isn't an expert and Let's be honest, I'm lazy, so I'm not going to read, like, pages and pages of um, some of these reports. Are there any things that I can do, any resources or any shortcuts um, for someone like me?
2: Like, I understand that, but the challenge is, as I was mentioning, the regulator is really focused on the consumer doing the homework. Yeah, okay. We don't have... So you can, so you might be familiar. So there's a website called Responsible Returns, which is by the Responsible Investment Association of Australia that I mentioned before, I'm a board member. And they are trying to kind of differentiate uh, products. So if you, for example, want a product, they, and they certify that the products are true to label. So if you go to their website and and say, I don't want to have any exposure to tobacco, then you can tick the box and then we'll spit out whatever products they have registered. So that's one of the ways. The challenge with that is that it's very product-driven. And that systemic change that I was talking to you about, so that engagement piece, which is it's really it sounds really boring, but it's so important. To me, that's the the main way in which I feel through my job I achieve any change more than actually the products are important but to me it's more about that engagement that is a bit harder and at this point there's not much Um, in the UK you have the UK stewardship code and if um, for example somebody goes and checks their website and they have signed up They have done this due diligence and read all this and ensure that the case studies make sense and all this. But we don't have anything like this in Australia at this point. So if you're really, if you have like two minutes, go to the website of the asset manager, look for case studies, read the case studies, if that makes sense to you. If it's detailed enough and it's giving you evidence, I think that's where I would spend my time if I would be interested interested
0: in this systemic change well I, I've got to be honest I had never heard of responsible returns before I'm looking at Bryce to see if he had either and I've just jumped on the website and it's it's great like it it's definitely a step in the right direction for someone like me who just wants I guess someone else to do all the work <laughs> <laughs>
1: but that's what you need with all this stuff someone else to do the work like yeah 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 <laughs> there's just so many uh, this it's it, yeah it's overwhelming it, it's, it is overwhelming. It's overwhelming there's so
0: much to consider and yeah. you know I, I think danny you said earlier uh what your theory of change is and for me i will hear someone who uh has a divestment approach and Um, I will be fully bought in by the end of the interview on what they're saying. And then I'll speak to someone who uh, takes an engagement approach and I'll be like, yeah, we need to give these companies capital to transition their business models and I'll be fully bought in. So I think the challenge for me is that I have a very malleable theory of change.
1: (laughs) Also, Danny, I I guess one follow-up to that as well. Are there there any things that we should keep an eye out to avoid if we're looking at products or managers that... I guess it's hard to identify greenwashing just bang, but like
2: yeah, what are the red flags? What are the red flags?
1: Yeah, yeah, that we should keep an eye on or keep an eye out for.
2: One of the obvious red flags, but I'm skeptical about this one. Is look at the holdings. The problem with looking at holdings is that then it really depends on your definition of sustainability to see if it makes sense or not. And and my favorite um, example in this is. Um, For example, if I have a sustainable fund and I'm trying to do my homework, so if I'm looking at sustainable funds or a sustainable ETF and I'm trying to do my homework, I can't look at the holdings. And then all of a sudden I find a lot of mining stocks. I'm going to be like, what? I thought mining was bad. Like, they've spent years telling us that mining is bad. Like, how can this be an sustainable fund? And then now me, I've spent the last two years, and I'm a bit obsessed with mining now (laughs) because I see it as, oh, yeah, I I never thought I would say that, actually. Uh, (laughs) My brothers were laughing about that the other day. Like, I'm really obsessed with mining because the role of mining and decarbonisation. We've even written a very long paper that took me ages to write. But I see it as a massive bottleneck. For decarbonisation, and and now we see it in the media. So we've seen it. I don't know. have seen it in the last um, few months. Australia has a massive opportunity to. But I've been obsessed with it for like a, maybe two years. But there's a massive bottleneck there, and and there's a lot of money that needs to go into not only lithium and lithium processing and rare earths, and uh, it's beyond that. Like it's things like silver for uh, solar panels. So it, it's quite complex, and so. In my, if I put a sustainable fund there, I might have like a critical minerals or transition materials fund that, that I flag as sustainable because I see it as key to alleviating that bottleneck on critical minerals that are caught to batteries, etc. However, when you go and look under the hood and you look at the holdings, you are going to be like, why do you have all these mining companies there? I thought they were destroying everything and biodiversity and and their emissions and they're displacing people and they're blowing up stuff. So. Unfortunately, I wish I could have a short answer for you, but I just in terms of red flags, I would just say you need to read and try to define what is it that you want to achieve. And I would say look beyond the product, look at the asset manager and try to understand what they're saying beyond the product itself sometimes doesn't do um, enough, I
1: would say. There's got to be a role for AI in all of this to help us to help us get to the end end result. I mean,
0: the most helpful AI could be is to help us actually alleviate climate change.
1: that's not. Nah. We'll, <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> we wouldn't have to worry about nah, this. No, 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 All good, all good. Anyway, Danny, that does bring us to the end of our our convo today. I think we've really appreciated chatting to you. Are there any other, I guess, areas that investors can seek guidance? on this. You've mentioned responsiblereturns.com.au. We'll include a a note to that. You mentioned having a look at case studies, but I think just given your wealth of experience and knowledge, uh, people are looking for that additional sort of advice. Where could they be looking?
2: As annoying as it might be, looking at websites of fund managers, looking at the detail. uh, For example, active managers uh, versus like they know the companies pretty well, and there's a wealth of research and reports. And Some of them are boring, but some of them are interesting for the everyday person. And and so, I would just say, really look for that knowledge from app managers, their research on sustainability themes. Uh, but there's, we have a whole uh, heap of work, in, for example, biodiversity. How do you think about that? Is it, a, can you invest in it? The exclusionary fund based on diversity, probably not, but you need to understand that your manager is actually looking at the detail of biodiversity risks. Yeah, in terms of resources, things that come to mind at this point, it is the RIA, RIA certification. And then in the UK, you have the UK stewardship code. If you see any products that are listed in both, you, or you can look at asset managers from that perspective. But yeah, that's that's the, the main things that, uh, that come to mind at this point.
0: Well, Danny, uh, you did you mentioned going to uh, websites of active managers and we should give a shout out to Fidelity's uh, website. Uh, if people go there, fidelity.com.au, and you go to the sustainable investing tab at the top, you do publish a number of case studies that around your engagement with a number of different companies, Commonwealth Bank, Cleanaway, and Origin Energy, a whole bunch. So uh, if people do want to see... I guess what disclosure could look like and probably should look like from all fund managers, um, that's a good place to go.
2: And we have a really cool mining paper called the decarbonisation and mining paradigm.
1: <laughs> Someone's keen on mining. <laughs>
2: Someone's a bit obsessed, yes.
1: Uh, love it. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it there, Danny. Thank you so much for coming on. As, uh, as we always discuss or feel like, um, you know, when we finish conversations like this, there is always plenty to learn when it comes to this topic and um, having experts like yourself to help us understand it goes a long way. So we do really appreciate it and thank you very much.
2: Anytime. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today.